In this podcast, we have an artist whose work I absolutely love. It is Dylan Ekron. Dylan Ekron is a CG character designer at Netflix Animation, and previous to that was a character modeler at Walt Disney Feature Animation since 2010. He's worked on features like Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Big Hero 6, Zootopia, and most recently, Encanto, just to name a few. Dylan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. Awesome. Glad to be uh, here. Yeah, we, we uh, met in my country of yes. all places, which is very yeah. rare. Um, <laughs> we were meeting no, at- No, a while um, ago. Yeah, the CG, I don't even remember the name of the conference, but you flew over uh, here with um, the Noman crew, I believe at the time, who were doing mm -hmm. a, yeah, a little like weekend kind of training thing <laughs> here in Melbourne, which was great. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was lucky enough to be invited along on that trip. Yeah. Um, so, pretty cool. And your specialty is uh, obviously character modeling. And would you call yourself more of a modeler or a character designer? Because you obviously do both looking at your mm. portfolio. Um, I think I'm probably considered more of a character modeler, but okay. I think that the design skill factors in here and there, you know, I think it definitely helps those yeah. things for sure. Is oh, yeah, it, I don't often think of myself as a designer. Okay. Is that common, by the way, to have both of those skills or most people usually do one or the other? Um, I think most people tend to do one or the other generally. Um, okay. There's there's always people who do both, but and it kind of goes on both sides. You know, there's sometimes there's 2D designers who dabble in 3D and 3D modelers who dabble in design. So right. that's kind of more like where I'm at. Right, right. Got it. Awesome. Um, Okay, cool. Well, I want to get, I want to sort of get your sort of origin story and how you got to where it is. So this mm. question might lead us there. Uh, do you remember how old you were when you realized that art might be your career or were you always artistic? Um, I've always done art. Like I've always been big into drawing and, and uh, check, you know, like I screwed around with 3D stuff pretty early on, but I didn't know enough about it. And it was all just like, you know, whatever I could find to download because it was prohibitively expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I've always done art just for fun. And then in like towards the very, very end of high school, someone like some counselor I had was like, oh, you could probably go to art school. And I never had even considered it until that moment. So really? Okay. Yeah, I, I got started way too late on that <laughs> stuff. I didn't even know that this was like a viable career that you could go into really okay and art yeah. sorry I, 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 like a career jobs counselor was the one yeah we had like you. yeah like high school counselors that would kind of be like well you should probably start thinking about going to college you know and then of course that was one of the things that came up and okay. so i wanted to know more information about that and i think i got like a google search printed out that was like art school oh, <laughs> so really? okay. i, I kind of had to do a lot of research on my own yeah yeah they're like just follow that road you'll yeah you'll get somewhere okay pretty <laughs> and, much yeah and up until that point like what was it that made the counselor suggest that did you have like doodles all over i think i might books? have mentioned it yeah i think i was just probably in trouble all the time for like doing that anyway it's like oh why aren't your grades higher because i was drawing when i should have been paying attention probably right got it got it yeah, yeah. which yeah. happens to this day so <laughs> nice got it Okay, mm -hmm. so you, uh, and, and did you have any sort of professional education or were you just 
literally just dabbling, not even. Oh yeah. I mean, I left high school and went to a, like a state art school, like just something local. Okay. So state, I finished school. up high school. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not exactly right, but it's, it wasn't like a state college. So I left high school and I started, I, I went to a place called Rocky mountain college of art and design. Okay. Yep. And, um, just because it was like the closest thing. I didn't know anything about art education and, you know, people weren't learning as much on the internet, of course, as they are now. And so it seemed like the best way to go was a, like a brick and mortar school and the recruiters at that school agreed with me. So I went there uh, and, <laughs> but like, I wish I had known more at the time because I almost got into some of the schools out here in California uh -huh. yep. and it would have been like such a totally different experience, but I like, they were just like, well, you don't have enough life drawing to get in. Like everything else is probably fine, but we need to see some more life drawing from you. So of course I was like, well, I got to go to college next year. So I can't take time to go do more life drawing or something like that. Mm. And so I just like went to college instead of, you know, building out more of a portfolio just because I had no idea. Like no one said that. And I maybe just, you know, couldn't figure it out on my own, but okay. Um, yeah, it just seemed like that was the progression of things. Like you finish high school and then the next year you go to college. And yes. so that's what I did. Yes. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Is, is, by the way, is that something you would suggest to artists today to go to an art school, to a college? Mm, I would make sure that they knew you know, what the alternatives were to that. And like, I think it really depends on how you learn. Like, okay. I don't regret going to that school at all, of course, but I've, it's crazy how much good information is out there now. The mm -hmm. hard part is just like, how do you find it? And right. it's like a major, I don't know. I have like a, it's like a sticking point for me. Like there is a ton of information that's out there, but only some of it is like worth your time really. And I feel like yes, that's yes. the major issue. I could see someone not going to college and opting for like an online education and just throwing money away because, you know, they maybe like me didn't know who to talk to or who to ask. And so they're just like, this guy seems like they know what they're doing. And, you know, mm -hmm. so they go with that. Mm -hmm. I hate to see that happen. But yeah, yeah it's uh, I think my tendency is to say, you know, explore online opportunities like it just gives you access to a lot more people and a lot of more different kinds of information. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you go to like a, some, some school that's in your state or something, you may not get the same quality, you know, but that being said, sometimes you learn better in person and you've got other people around you that are kind of doing the same thing. There's a totally different feel to it. And yeah, it's something definitely I definitely is. don't regret getting from my school even though we had to, you know, figure out a lot of stuff on our own. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Having people so shoulder to shoulder with you also that you can kind of like mm -hmm. look over and see their work and go like, all yes. right, yeah, I'm on the same track or like, oh, I'm behind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that can be helpful. It can be so as someone who's like taught classes online too, it can be really isolating when you're just by yourself trying to do this stuff. So oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It's really like whatever works best for that person. And they may decide after a year or two that they don't want to do that. And at least then they'll have a better idea of what to look for. You know? Yeah. Yeah. On the note of what you were saying about um, there being good and bad content out there on the web. I totally agree. 
there's a lot of quantity mm-hmm. quality now is like it's like yeah it's like you're thirsty and just like drinking from a fire hose it's like there's way too much stuff coming at you yeah so what, much what would you suggest mm-hmm. to a young artist that is thinking of like maybe they've seen a course for sale on udemy or something or even just you mm-hmm. know free stuff how do they know that the content is quality and worth watching oh man that's a good question um i think that maybe the instructor credentials have a lot to do with it it's not everything of course because there's a lot of people who are very good but i think what i see happening a lot is somebody takes a lot of courses from people that are very good and then they learn a lot and then they turn around and they start like kind of regurgitating that information yes and then sometimes that happens like two or three times in a row and so by the time sometimes people are getting this information it's like second or third hand down the road from and none of those people along the chain have actually done this like in a environment that you know that information is actually coming from so that's the thing that i kind of rail against a little bit but yeah. I mean, it's ha- I see it happen all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, so I actually, it's, funnily, it's like, on, on a related note, yeah, I was once looking up like yeah. how to create interesting characters with interesting design features, things like that. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I saw like a lot of YouTube videos, you know, that was sort of like 10 minutes long. These are the top 10 tips or something on this thing. And sure. y- yeah, it was palpable that they yeah. had just, picked up a book or or honestly that they'd watched the three other youtube videos who had also been copying the one that came before another one that came. so they were all creating these tips that came from one source yeah. and it was uh yeah it was yeah i was surprised actually at how how much content there was but how little there was in terms of like you could take from it that was actually learnable so yeah yeah and it's also like sometimes the information is good because it's lifted wholesale from like a better video and (laughs) then but then like the work that they're showing you there's like an incongruency there where they're like you got to make sure you know or whatever it is they'll be talking about some principle of design and then the work that they're showing is like not there so right right so that's, that's how you might know okay got it got it yeah like yeah i would definitely like check credentials of you know whatever artist you're trying to learn from um there's certain like institutions that a lot of you know good artists will teach at that helps too so you got to definitely do your research yeah i agree there's also though i think as you said like it's, it's not the only thing because there are some conferences i've been to where i've sat in a room with like who's like the industry leader at whatever this thing is he's been doing it for 20 30 years or something and i walked out of it with no information almost i couldn't gleam anything um and whereas on the offhand i've also learned things from like youtubers who i don't know they've been using blender for a couple of years and they've learned some things and uh same yeah and they're junior you know but they're really good teachers are really good at explaining the concept that goes behind something um that makes a huge difference yeah you can kind of get a bit of a bit of both Mm. yeah i get that's a really good point too i'm not trying to be like 
you can only teach if you've like worked for five years or you know something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that if if there's good information to learn there, then that's one thing. I think what I'm more reacting to is like like the sort of like self-professed like expert in something when they haven't actually done that work in some right. way. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, like for like so many different software things like here's how i do this in zbrush or here's how i you know build a whole scene out in blender or something like that those are super valuable i i watch those things all the time as long as i'm getting good information from it i think it's awesome the it's incredible how much stuff. of that is like just free yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah mm. got it okay yeah I'd, I'd say that's definitely my approach is like for something like character design it's like okay look at the credentials make sure this person's got like a portfolio that's actually decent that I can judge with my own eyes. And then also hopefully they've got some free lessons as part of the course. And I've bailed mm -hmm. on several purchases because I couldn't, like I could tell I was not gonna enjoy the course. It's also like, it just has yeah. to be right for you. Like some people have said that like, this course is amazing, it was so good. And like, I couldn't get through three videos cause I couldn't learn anything. So it's different for yeah. different people. So you gotta make sure totally. that- yeah. Try and get a teaser of it before you buy it and check that it's actually something you could learn from. I think that helps. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe more uh, tutorials and courses should do that kind of thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But then there'll um, be even more videos. That's right. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Watch these other YouTube videos before you before you do the course. That's right. Um, okay. So going back to your story. So, um, so you finished the state college, you went from high school mm -hmm. you went to the state college um and it was just yeah. like a local art school that yeah yeah w you so yeah it's yeah, a four-year oh sorry yeah so it's a four-year uh just like a normal traditional art school and well emphasis on traditional so they were really like rooted in drawing and painting that's what their whole school started with Mm -hmm. And actually their CG program was like really new at the time that I took it. So another kind of, you know, thing to take a look at, how long has a school been teaching 3D and, <laughs> you know, something like that. So, because, you know, I didn't know anything. So I was like, oh, they've got computers. So that must be a good sign. And so, <laughs> um, we ended up was this like the seventies? No, they have an IBM. No. <laughs> it was two years ago. Okay. Um, so they, it was just like, they, I just don't think that they were ready to teach at like the level that they maybe should have been at the time. We had great instructors and, but th they were people who had worked in animation previously. So they didn't have a lot of like CG experience and stuff. And I just think that we spent a ton of time in the labs just like really late at night learning stuff mm. on our own because okay. we at you know at that time like cg society was really big so we would just go like trawl through the forums on cg society and just like all night until they kicked us out um you know work <laughs> on stuff and yeah it was cool the animation department so this, uh, this school was great because they moved into what used to be like a tuberculosis rehabilitation facility in nice. Colorado. Nice. Okay. And so all of the all of the buildings on the campus were these historical buildings. It was a really beautiful place. But the animation department was in like this like dank underground 
concrete walled area. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was the morgue. So that's where oh, you guys are. Nice. The morgue. Wow. So dude. So building yeah. with well, a lot of character. Well, for us, it was like, excellent. Yes. <laughs> of course. It just made it even better. Oh, that's funny. Get down there. That's where the artists go. Yeah. You get in there. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. I mean, I think probably... I don't regret that school at all because I, I learned a ton and I met some amazing people there and it was just like a good time in my life. But like the number one thing I walked away from that school with was like the ability to find out how to teach myself something, you know? Mm-hmm. So just like, if there's something I need to learn, I know how to go get that, you know, and, and figure it out. I know to like fill the gaps in my knowledge. So yeah, I've that's, heard a few uh, other artists talk about that as well. Um, so yeah, was, was the, the school, the, the class that you were in, uh, you'd say there were other students that were as hungry or like they were passionate as well. And that kind of rubbed definitely. off on you. Yeah, definitely. I think that I needed that. And, you know, they probably needed that too. Like having some kind of like competitive nature with some of the people you're in school with, I think really helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So I had like there were uh, like 2D guys, like illustrators that I felt competitive with. And there was 3D guys because we were all figuring this stuff out together. So someone would show up with like, you know, I figured out like how to put a bump map on something. And, you know, it's like, what? What is this dark sorcery? <laughs> you know, so then like we would go into like, oh, I got to figure out how to do that on my stuff, too. And then casually act like I knew how to do it all along. So. <laughs> God, it's nice. OK, so I, yeah. I assume that group. Um, not all of them ended up working at Disney. What was it that made you different? Um, well, I moved out here to LA for one thing. So after school was over, I was like, I'm not going to get a job in Colorado. Cause at the time there was like, I think the statistic they gave me was like 200 animation places in Colorado, but only like a handful of those had more than one employee. So it was like, oh, right. very, you know, at the time, it just didn't seem like the prospects were very good. Like I might go into, you know, animating teeth for like a dental company or something like that. You know, like I did some, some early freelance stuff that was just like, I know I don't want to spend my life doing this. I got to right. get out of here and do something a little bit more interesting. It just wasn't right for me. So I started doing research on schools out of the state. And so I ended up going to Noman in um la so that was a huge step for me Hmm. because obviously you know that's like everyone that works there is is working professionally and Mm. it was just like a another place where they would let you stay in the lab for way way too long and work on stuff which was like my only way to learn and i absolutely do not recommend doing that to anybody (laughs) who's trying to learn now like be way smarter than me what, in and what get way? Some sleep. Okay. Well, just, I was just, I don't learn things very, like, I don't know. I have a hard time picking stuff up. Like, none of this comes very easily to me. It's all very hard work for me. So I have to, like, just bash my head against the wall, I feel like, to, like, get it, you know, to finally understand it. I really have to screw everything up bad and then fix it. And it's the fixing it that I learn. Huh. So okay. that's kind of like the pro- like I can follow a tutorial or something and that's great, but I really have to like break it and mess it up hard 
before I can actually figure out what I'm doing. And so that's what we, I mean, that's like all that we did. I think they changed their policy on how long people can stay there because of our class. They call it the echo. And also it's worth, yeah, it's worth noting that um, after I left Rocky Mountain College of Art and Design, they were acquired by another school. So all of their stuff changed after I left and I have no idea what it's like there now. I'm sure it's great, okay. but like, and then Noman also, right after we left, they changed their entire program. So it's like a completely different, it looks totally different now. It's like way more upgraded now. Yeah, they really did a lot. Wow. So that's cool. Interesting. Yeah, That okay. So that sounds pretty crucial. It was taking that leap to say, wow. I'm gonna leave behind my friends and family, move to a completely new state and uh, go to Noman, yeah. which is one of the top schools in the world for art um yeah at the yeah no you go i was gonna say at the time it was big too like i just remember seeing um like advertisements in magazines or something at the time like cg world magazines and uh it just seemed cool like they showed neat art and i was like i want to make out monsters and learn how to render stuff and so that's why i went but yeah a what, couple what of us moved this, out by the way just when, drove when did out. you go to norman Oh God, um, 2005, maybe okay. it was a little, maybe 2003, 2005, somewhere around there. Right. I'm terrible with dates. I'd have to like actually look it up. Okay. But it. somewhere around there. Got it. So this was, uh, maybe a little, no, no, no. Maybe a little later than that. Got it. Were you using ZBrush? So I got, yes, at, at Nomen we definitely were. Okay. Um, at yeah the previous school that they, they were they didn't really believe in zbrush at first okay. i got them to install i got them to buy a bunch of licenses and install them on their computers so. okay that's cool nice. just using yeah got it yeah because yeah, that must have been like the start yeah the start of zbrush because i think it's only about yeah was it 2001 2002 something it started something yeah that. actually that probably contributed to the decision for Nomen because they were the only ones putting out like DVDs at the time of how to actually use this software at like a high level. Um, I mean, maybe there's others, right. but those were the ones that you could find. And yeah. so, you know, I'd watch the, the DVDs and it's like, oh, this person actually teaches at this place. So you can go check it out there. So yeah, it was just ZBrush yeah. 2 and like Meets Myers DVDs on how to use ZBrush. Wow, old school. And now we've yeah. just got this world of content out there. Of too much. <laughs> I know it's just uh, evolving <laughs> so rapidly. So on, on that note, what what today are your favorite uh, resources for learning? Like it could be, it could be a book, could be like a course, or it could be a YouTube channel. Where would you suggest that new artists go to learn about characters? If you're trying to learn just the craft side of it. Um, yeah, I think that there's some good classes out there. There's some like really well-established, I think, classes on that'll give you all the foundations, all the fundamental stuff, and a lot of the like secondary tertiary stuff too. Um, I I'm on YouTube all the time, and I you know that becomes kind of a jungle that you wade through. But I'm always looking for like new information. I feel like that's kind of my background noise is just like throwing on YouTube tutorials and stuff. I probably do that too much but um yeah i don't know i haven't taken like a serious character class for a little while okay 
I know that there's a lot of really good intro ones. Like Shane Olson has a really great, um, not intro, but like that's one of those ones that takes you like all the way through. I've never used ZBrush before to like how to do a full on oh, character. So he's got a Shane great one. Shane Olson. I taught a class. Yeah, Shane Olson, uh, 3D character workshop, I think. Okay. And uh, yeah, I have one that I teach occasionally at Mold 3D, but yep. I haven't been able to do it since the pandemic started. So ah, it's just been too okay. much. So the, the course, it's not a like a series of videos that you just download. It's a live course that you have to. Yeah, well, it's both. Like you could buy the, the videos self-paced and do it that way if you wanted to, like if that's okay. a good way for you to learn, right? like we talked about. But um, the main kind of thrust of the course was the videos and then I would just give personalized individualized feedback for everybody too. Mm -hmm. So I open up everyone's model and sculpt on it a little bit and tell them what I'm doing and why and kind of try to like push it towards that the final concept a little bit more. I think that's where okay. most of the good information there was like not most of it, but that's where all the good information I had in the video gets put into practice, I think. But okay. it's so time consuming. So I just haven't been able to do it lately. Uh, okay, got it, got it. So that's uh, that's that's great to hear. I didn't know that there was a uh, review component, obviously when it's running, but yeah, another question then, like you must've seen so many students come through um, and some of them do well and others don't. What would you say separates the superstars from the average? I mean, the obvious answer I think is like the people who put the time in who actually like take the critiques to heart and they experiment with stuff and they, they get in there and they screw up and fix it, you know, kind of like the way that I do stuff. Okay. Um, but a lot of it, you, I mean, you'd be surprised, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of people who sign up for these classes and they don't do the work until like two hours before they got to turn it in or something like that. I don't think they take it as seriously. So it's the difference between people who take it really seriously and people who don't. And, regardless of skill level, the people who really take it seriously and they put some time in and they do research outside of the class too, to bring their own information in, they're the ones who really advance further. And I've never seen anybody who didn't do that. Um, wait, what's up? I'm, I don't want to like double negative this. I've never seen anyone who didn't put that work in, uh, like not go somewhere with it. Ah, uh, interesting. You know? Okay. So the people who yeah. show up, really put in yeah. the hours it's almost uh yeah but, and then it's kind of like one of those things is it like is it the amount of hours they put in that led to it or was it more the fact that putting in a certain amount of hours means you've got such a drive that you would have succeeded you know <laughs> anyway uh yeah i don't know um i think that if you have the i don't know like the the drive to 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 finish like an individual project then that says a lot about you as an artist, you know, like you can push through and, and get it done, especially under a timeline. Like my course was eight weeks, which is on the very like long side of what you would get to make a character in like a professional environment. But yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's still kind of a slog. So people have to really like be dedicated to it, I think. Mm, okay, got it. That's cool. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, it's fun. I love doing it. I just wish I had the time or like the mental bandwidth to do it right now. Yeah, giving reviews and mentoring. It, yeah, it sounds like 
nothing, but it's it's every, it's like that's your day. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I miss it though. I wish I'd like to go back to it, but yeah, I remember just like being totally exhausted. Right, right. So I yeah. had to stop. Yeah, that definitely happens. Yeah, getting burnt out from just doing too many draw overs. No, I said the silhouette. You gotta. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's a tough one. That's a, yeah, that's hard when you like give the same feedback every single week, and it's like mm -hmm. I'm trying real hard to help, but it's yeah. just something isn't connecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely yeah. takes uh, a good teacher to. Yeah, I was reading this book that was talking about what was it called? What was the book called? It was basically like a a deep dive into, um, like you know performance athletes and people who excel mm. and more so the tutors like what sort of teaching is it that creates that that superstar that that kind of thing because there are these mm. pockets in the world where you know the best soccer players come out of here or the best tennis players come out of here and so this guy went to these places and sort of met the teachers and sort of figured out what were they doing well and that none of the other teachers oh. were and yeah, it was sort of, uh, it was a really interesting book with the name. I've mentioned it on a previous podcast, but anyways, um, yeah, he, he, uh, oh, yeah, one guy, like to know. yeah, this one guy was a, uh, I think he was a musician. Yeah. He was just a music teacher. Um, and he was just, I think just like at a normal, like a high school somewhere in New York or something like that. Um, but he'd like created so many successes, like some of these successful musicians like started there mm. or were trained like one-on-one. -on -one. And um, yeah, like the guy sat in for these like tutoring lessons and like one of the courses, like one of the students, he was just really hard at just like, come on, I said this tempo, you know, like that guy from Whiplash, not my fucking tempo, <laughs> you know, like, no, yeah, like, yeah. throwing stuff. And then the next yeah. one was this girl who was like nervous and like shaky and, you know, and he was just a completely different person. Like, okay, let's play, Whoa. let's take it easy. What's going on, you know? Like, and just sort of encourage yeah. giving the right advice for the right person at the right time, which means you have to be switched on. You have to care and you have yeah. to like, not just take what they've given you or what they've said, but like read between the lines and go like, I think she's struggling with this, but she thinks it's this, mm. but I think it's actually this. Um, yeah, it was, yeah. Anyway, yeah. side tangent. Wow, yeah, that's a really like great skill to have. That's something I wish that I, or something I'd like to develop more, I think. Yeah. Cause yeah, I definitely like, there's a lot of stuff I don't know, but there's a few things that I do know really well. So I'd like to try to, I don't know, be more useful, I guess, to the <laughs> community, but I, I'm just trying to like find a way to do it. That isn't like super time consuming and just kills me mm. or isn't some kind of a, uh, I don't know, like a, like a everybody pay attention to me type of thing you know like right. i'm i'm important let me speak no <laughs> yeah <laughs> call yourself the guru put yourself on the internet yeah. <laughs> hey, um, like, it worked though yeah. <laughs> um okay so I, I guess sort of coming back to the uh the student progress what then what they're taking what would you yeah. say in characters specifically, what do you think are the biggest mistakes and myths or like biggest waste of time that you see? Oh man. I'll think about that for a minute. So 
biggest waste of time. I think sometimes, I mean, maybe this isn't like the biggest thing, but I think sometimes people don't know. They're not thinking like what the end goal is when they go into learning about this stuff. So they might be thinking, you know, I want to work in games or something and they'll take just like the wrong course to get there. Like they'll just take the wrong path okay. or they'll, yeah. Um, you know, I think that that those like film and games are kind of on like a, I, I think they're kind of like on a converging course mm -hmm. where those skills are going to start to overlap a lot more. Um, especially like towards the game side of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a lot of times I get people asking me like, oh, how can I get into feature animation or something? And I'll see their portfolio and it's like nothing but real time, you know, game assets or something like that, or sometimes like mobile game stuff. And it's just like, well, even though this work is fine for where, you know, for what you're using it in, it just doesn't translate over. So like there's a whole skill set that you need to learn to get there. So in a way that's kind of like, I mean, it's not a waste of time if that's what you use it for, but it's, it's not going the, you know, towards what they want to do with it. Mm -hmm. But I would say, I don't know. I think a lot of, I'm guilty of this too, like obsessing over what kind of software they're using to do it. Like, I know that's like a cliche answer too. Like it doesn't matter what kind of brush you use. It's, uh, but people do really get obsessed with the tools. And I think often another thing I'm guilty of is people, and I've had people like this in my class too, where they fall into like a tutorial mindset or like they just get stuck in like a loop of taking classes forever and never actually doing anything outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so and, you know, at a certain point you have to break free from that and go do your own stuff and put that into you know practice and find out what kind of artist you want to be, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it feels like you're making progress, I guess, when you take like tutorial after tutorial and you're like filling up, you know, all these like project files, but it's not really getting you anywhere. Yeah. Um, past a certain point. So I think that happens a lot. It does. Yeah. And I know personally, like, cause I was, yeah, last year and year before that learning 2D on the side characters specifically yeah. actually. And um, yeah, I would, I would, I noticed it was such a huge drop from the quality of work that I did after it, like through a tutorial following the, mm -hmm. the the person's strokes. Like I would do these amazing drawings and I'd just be like fucking like pumping the air. Like, yeah, I got yeah. this, like I can <laughs> do this. And then the, the yeah. tutor was like, all right, now do a character of your own. And it was yeah. so and it was so obvious. <laughs> I didn't actually know what I was doing. I was like, anyone can mimic, yeah. right? Mimicry is like the human brain is even wide for it they say and like this stroke sure. make the line go this angle this thing you do that like a thousand strokes so you've drawn the character that the the tutor did and if they're a bad mm -hmm. tutor that will literally be it like a paint by numbers approach and so yeah yeah actually forcing yourself to do that project after that by yourself um yeah, yeah if, if you miss that if you just go on to the oh. next tutorial you can shoot yourself in the foot because you don't realize you actually, you haven't checked that criteria item off yet because you didn't learn it. So you think you actually know perspective, but you, you didn't. So don't move on to proportions yet until you've done perspective, yeah. Totally, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you follow like, follow along a lesson plan and no matter how good that lesson plan is, 
ideally the person teaching it has done it thousands of times before. So they've like, they really have it down, but you've yeah. maybe done it just this one time. And That's so right. you really need to like do it a lot more. Um, yeah. I would say, I just, this, just thought of this too. Like, I think another huge waste of time is uh, social media to a huge degree. Oh, um, yeah. I think yeah. people become, especially now more than ever, become just obsessed with that. Like that's who they are as an artist. And I'm super guilty of this too. I have to take breaks sometimes because I'm just like doing the, I call it the comparison trap where you're just like stuck in this mode of like looking at other people's work and you're just like, I suck compared to this person. Like I'm never gonna, how do they even do that? Like, mm. um, you know, I, I'm super guilty of it. And I see people do that all the time. Like Twitter is, it seems like it's half people saying how much they hate their art and how bad they are and uh you know and the other like or talking about like how depressed they are (laughs) yeah Yeah. yeah, i mean every flavor of toxic is on twitter of course but i think that like um really focusing in on like the numbers and stuff obviously there's some use to that but not until you've reached a certain point i think Mm -hmm. with like with your career um but like early on just starting out like the number of likes and retweets and stuff it's just like those are just fake numbers that have nothing to do with how good you are as an artist yeah. and it's not like your art and the the reaction that you get online is not a value judgment you know it shouldn't yeah. be anyway think about how you use instagram or twitter you just like scroll through you're like oh cool likes you know next thing sometimes you might like do a little bit deeper dive or something but people are killing themselves to make a piece of art. And then it's just disposable because of, I blame Instagram and Twitter for this, not artists. They've just made everything so disposable now that, you know, that's like, you'll get people's eyes on it for like one second and then they scroll on to the next thing, you yeah. know? And so I just don't think it's worth beating yourself up about it as much. And I'm saying that as someone who struggles with that a lot. So <laughs> I'm working on it and you should too. <laughs> I got it. Motivational. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree more. But it yeah, it that thing of like comparing it's yourself. It's mm. it's almost like it's it's it you're wired to in a way, you know, because oh, yeah. like okay, so we're both doing this thing, right? I'm building a wall, he's building a wall, and it would be stupid or like almost impossible to not look at their wall and compare it to my wall oh he did that absolutely much better than i did and he's been doing it less Mm -hmm. time than i did you know and so yeah there's that you see you know someone posts up on twitter lunchtime sketch 30 minutes and it's this you know masterpiece you're like (laughs) god damn it i worked i worked for 10 days on this piece and it is garbage in relation to that i think we've all been there for sure you're also taking that at face value. Like someone might have worked on that for a little bit longer than their lunchtime. Oh yes, that as well. I that yeah, that definitely is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, trusting. Yeah, what, what that's the artist a good. Um, it's a good defense against the comparison trap. Is you just look at everybody else's stuff and go, "There's no possible way that they did that." <laughs> yeah, did. that's right. They're lying Liar. to make themselves look good. Liar liar yeah <laughs> i think the other one though i said it before is like uh art station unfortunately does not show you 
the amount of hours that they have in their lifetime of learning, right? So you, when you're mm. browsing, and because of course it's impossible, but like, of course, everybody has different amounts of experience. And so you're not seeing that because it's impossible to, unless they were to self-profess it or something. But even then it would be like, okay, so you started drawing in 2000, but like how many hours have you, you know, how many mentors did you sit yeah. under? How many like, like repeated sessions of this? So you're just seeing something that, you know, somebody's got 20 years experience behind you and you just started be stupid to imagine that you could pull something off in the same time and yet your brain does that every day every time it sees something sure. without taking into account the experience oh yeah there's so much context that doesn't go into that because like you i've there's something i've noticed really most of my twitter breaks during the pandemic have been because like you just see like people that you follow just banging out like one thing after another. They're just like, yeah. here's a new character. Here's a new thing. Now I taught myself unreal. And now I'm, you know, it's like, holy shit, how do they have the time to do this? Like I have, I, I sat down and I took a look at my schedule a couple of months back and I was like, all right, I got to figure out how to like maximize my time so I can <laughs> learn more stuff. And I was like, all right, I got a full-time job. I've got two kids. I have like, you know, I've got, I'm in a marriage. I've got a house I got to take care of. I've got a really large cat that needs to eat all the time. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, if I want to still get enough hours of sleep to like get up and be functional to do all that stuff, I have like two hours maybe to do stuff during the yeah. day. Yeah. So, and that's if I'm being like really efficient in every aspect of my life. So mm. it's a, it's a, it's a system that I continue to tinker with. I'm really like an optimization junkie okay. um, in theory. So I'm like really, I love trying to plan out stuff and try to like figure out like how to be a better worker. I read a lot of books about that stuff, um, but it's uh, it's an ongoing project. Maybe if I spent more time working on my projects and less time writing calendars, <laughs> right. I'd get more done. Yeah, yeah. It is fun though to, uh... It is fun to plan, <laughs> to just sit there and just write stuff yeah. in a journal, never do it. <laughs> I think I read something once about how planning to do stuff or like saying that you're going to do something kind of satisfies the same part of your brain as actually doing that thing. And right. so that's why I like, I don't post work in progress stuff on Twitter anymore because I feel like I'm done with it then. Yeah, and then, you get that hit. Like yeah. sit like, yeah, if I try to get like too micro with my daily planning and stuff like that, um, then it feels like I've already accomplished that. And then I have to spend the rest of the day being like, oh, I didn't do this. Oh, I ran out of time to do that. Let's move that to tomorrow. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, true. Interesting, yeah. It's a, it's a balance. Going back to, uh, yeah, just educational resources. Um, yeah, like let's say someone like myself or you know someone who's in arts, but you know they they want to learn character design, character modeling. Um, yeah, are there any specific courses or like where, where would you suggest they start? What would they learn, or maybe not even like a specific course? You know, what learning curriculum should they follow? What criteria do you think they should focus on? Um, I kind of feel like learning the tools obviously is um well maybe not learning the, like the tools the foundation of what you want to do is is good good place to start 
learn how to use, you know, Maya or Blender or whatever, whatever tool you choose to use. Okay. And then probably ZBrush if you're doing character stuff. I know Blender can do great sculpting and stuff, but it's just, it's not the same as ZBrush yet, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Oh. And so I would say learn at least those two things, you know, so that you've got like an arsenal and you've got the, the tools to kind of do what you want to do. Because if you're trying to like, does like make characters at a certain level and you're also trying to learn the program at the same time, something's going to give, you know, along the way. So it's really tough to do that. And so, yeah, I think like just learning the, the fundamentals first, at least just, just till you're comfortable in the program. And then you can kind of figure it out from there. I think that all the learning, everything has to be project-based. I think you need to have a goal in mind. There's no sense in, it's like the, like drawing tutorials where they're like, draw a box. Now draw like a box at a different angle. It's like, you can do that for a million years and it's not really going to help you draw a city, you know? So like, mm. I think that everything has to have like an end goal in mind. There's something I'm really like have turned on to a lot with my own practice is it's got to, yeah, have somewhere to end up. And so definitely like keep that in mind. Uh, Cause it's kind of like, you know, one, I don't know what, what I'm trying to say exactly there. There's too many like tutorials and classes that are not, they don't really go anywhere. You know, it's just like make a, a random shape or something like that. Yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, having, I just think it needs to have like a star is, is important where you're headed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so like, if you can say like, Oh, in this project, I'm going to learn, um, you know, how to do hopefully like stylized characters and then maybe also like some technical stuff too. So like maybe hair, or I'm going to try to do some, some texturing on this or something like that. That's where I'm at with my own kind of learning now is just mm -hmm. like, there's one thing that I want to try to learn on every new thing that I do. And then hopefully I'll be a real artist someday and I can put it all together <laughs> and it'll be like, I'll finally be accepted. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question. Um, yeah, no, it course, definitely is. Like the, so, the, so having, path, having, yeah. Yeah. So before you even can establish the path, you got to know where you're going and what you're, what you're I think so. At, yeah. Right. And then once you've yeah. got that, you've got to have the basic knowledge of whatever tool it is you want to do. Uh, if it's 2d, mm -hmm. it could be, you know, procreate on iPad or even just a pencil. And if it's sure. sculpting yeah. ZBrush, whatever. And then the foundation, cause this is something I'm really curious about is, uh, particularly stylized characters, but really just character design in general, there seems to be these fundamental foundational skills of design that I myself are lacking and I have no idea what they are, <laughs> but I just know anytime I try to design something, it just looks like the realistic object that the reference that I was referencing, mm. you know? How do you transform mm. that reference, that idea into shapes that actually look good, that are aesthetically pleasing? What are some of those foundational yeah, skills? That's, uh... A great question. Um, I think a lot of <laughs> it's funny because a lot of like the you think about Disney characters and stuff. I'll speak mostly to that because that's what my background is mostly in. Um, you know, obviously they're known for great appeal, and 
I think a lot of what goes into that is reality. Like it's like you can't really stylize something without knowing what the real version of that should look like. Mm. And so I think that, you know, the stylization is sort of like just pushing on the rules that already exist. So you're not trying to like, it's not like a, the worst defense of like a bad character design or something is like, Oh, it's my style. I meant to do that, you know? Yeah. It's just stylized. It's like, well, okay, but there's no instruction happening here. You know, there's no foundational knowledge. So I think a lot of it is just rooted in foundation. It's rooted in knowing how to do things the correct or the right way first. And then you kind of like teaching appeal is really hard, right? Cause it's such a, it's not only subjective, but it's also like this sort of ethereal concept. It's really more of a concept than like a blueprint. Like you can't yes. just, I don't know. I, someone sent me this thing earlier today that was like, Oh, here's a tool that will like make all of your stuff appealing. And it was basically like a ruler that was broken into like, fourths maybe fifths i don't know and it was just like <laughs> make sure everything lines up with the the marks on this and that's all that they were doing to make their character and i was like that's very i mean it doesn't really make a lot of there's no i don't know there's no uh yeah uh, philosophy behind that there, you know there is, so there's something I guess, really appealing about the that the not the appealing design that's i'm talking about the the appeal of rules for great art because I, yeah. I love that stuff I mean, myself. It's like rule of thirds, the golden circle. Like, yes, big, middle, yeah. big, medium, small. Like this number of ratio. I'm like, what's the exact ratio yes. of the big to the small? And it's like, it depends. And it's like, damn it. No, I want to rule. Tell me like, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. There's so much of that that's just a feel. And um, I mean, basically, okay, so i love that stuff too i think that that is like the foundation of appeal is learning all that stuff yeah rule of thirds for sure maybe not so much the golden circle thing yeah, but like i, I call bs um, on that. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that one's kind of weird or like i saw this great one that looks like have you ever been to like a casino and seen the like the pin or is not pinball but what's the word the roulette oh the the no the, slot machines slot yeah yeah yeah, the slot machines, and then they've got like all those crazy lines that go through there. There's somebody like selling a pack of like different line overlays that you can put on your artwork, and it's like oh, as long yeah. as everything lines up with these lines. I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, the the but other, I don't the know, other other really that uh, that I noticed. I signed up. I, I bought this course. I won't say the name of the course, but it was um, it was like composition course because I was really interested. Like, is there some is there some magic to this? Is there some trick? And uh, yeah. yeah, it was just like like pulling up famous paintings and going like, this lines up with this. And you can see that that now directs your line across oh, horizontally yeah. to this and this square. And and it was it was like, it was appealing. Cause you're like, yeah, yeah, it does kind of like, and then you go, wait a minute, that works for this painting. And the other five <laughs> paintings that you scoured the web to find that fit this rule. What about the, millions of others that sure. are great and break the rule shouldn't that sure. imply that it's not a rule and it's just some coincidences for these five paintings yeah yeah i mean i think that that's getting too complicated trying to find some kind of like a template to 
to solve these problems. I think that it's really just a lot of it is feeling and it's something that you develop by doing it a lot. But there's also things like when you fall back on those basics, you know, like rule of thirds, that's a great one. Um, they, they come into play more as a way to like troubleshoot stuff that isn't working. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the times you'll be making something and you're like, why does this suck? Why is this not looking the way that I think that it should? So you start taking a look at it like, Oh, it's because if I draw a line from the head down to the feet, everything is exactly like 50% away from each uh, other. You know, yeah. like the, the waistline is exactly 50% between the head and the, and the feet, the knees are exactly between the waist and the feet. So that's something that I, yeah. So I find that a lot of drawings that I'm working on or characters that I'm working on, um, you know, oftentimes I'll diagnose it like that, you know, and it's like, oh, of course it's the fundamental crap that I should know like right off the bat, but uh, you don't, mm. but I mean, I guess you do know it because it comes into play later and it helps, but right, maybe right. that's the difference between someone who has, who knows that stuff and not, I guess you could fix it after the fact. Right. What, uh, okay. So, Going back to the the um, experience and you, uh, having a feel for understanding when something is right and wrong, um, it's yeah putting in the hours is that okay? So let, let's take an example of like like simplification. Something I just cannot for the life of me understand is when to simplify a form. If I'm making a face, I'm trying to do this caricature of Norm Macdonald, the comedian that just mm -hmm. just passed, and I'm like I'll make it stylized, and it's like. And I do all these little variations of it. And I'm doing this eyes and this, the thing of this. And it's like, the more I work on it, the more details I start adding to the point that it's like, it's just weird. Cause it was like style, it started stylized and then it just got realistic. And I can never know what parts, like, do I simplify the nostrils? Am I supposed to be simplifying the chin? How would you go about learning something like that? I don't know, that's a broad question. For that kind of thing, like, well, I don't, yeah, caricature is really hard to do, I think, in general. It's hard to do in 3D, it's hard to do in drawing. And I think that it's more about the proportions and, the, like, the layout of things than it is about, like, simplifying the anatomy. I think that that also can factor in, but that's really more for maybe overall kind of, like, level of detail. Because I'm sure you've seen caricatures that are, like, insanely simple, but they just work really well because everything lines up exactly right. Right. And so... And even then it's not so much about like, like using calipers to measure and making sure that things line up the way that they would on that person's face. It's about exaggerating those relationships, right? So it's like, if someone has eyes that are like, have you ever seen a, this is not to do, you know say anything about how he looks, but like, you know, if, like the most successful Ryan Gosling caricatures have like his eyes are very close together and like high up on his face, you know, uh -huh. Uh -huh. like I can see it in my head. And then got like that bit, like kind of simplified, long, you know, pointed chin. And like that goes so far towards who that guy is, you know, like if you can, I think that the simplification comes in the relationship between the features more than, or that's where the caricature is, I guess. And then you can kind of try to dial up and down the, the detail level from there. Okay. I can't think of uh, there's a guy who does caricature stuff like that where it's very very exaggerated but then he paints it in an ultra realistic way with like a lot of detail oh yeah and uh famous guy uh, trying to, i don't want to yeah i don't want to guess a name because i'm probably going to be wrong but <laughs> it's uh so there's, but there's a lot what yeah, makes if you just go to pinterest really and just type in caricature yeah 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 
But I think what makes those really successful is more about like the exaggeration of those feature relationships and less about the, the amount of detail that they put into it. Right. Okay. For the caricatures. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, yeah. And I, something else I learned, cause I did this, I was spent six months trying to learn caricatures before I learned the realistic stuff. Just word of oh, advice, yeah. wrong order to do it. Anyone listening, uh, <laughs> wrong way to but do it. But that's how you learn. That's, <laughs> you go down this road for a long time, waste all the time in the world. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I, I was, I was doing the caricatures and caricatures are all about exaggerating the ground truth, right? And so you got to like, yeah. you look at this face and you have to know what deviates from the average, right? Is it the eyes are too close together or is it they're far apart? Or is it the nose is too big or right. is it small? And if you don't know, if you haven't done enough faces realistically, you don't know what those things are. So I was just yeah. like literally flailing around in the dark. It's like, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. Here's 50 versions of it. Which one? And they're like, none of them. None of them look even <laughs> remotely like Leonardo DiCaprio because yeah. I just didn't know what, you know. Uh, but totally. anyways, I, I can't and, remember where I was going and, with that. But oh, yes. I mean, so, it's all about. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, yeah, in relation to like, yeah, the uh, exaggerating the relationships, I learned it was like you have to, you can't exaggerate everything because if you exaggerate everything, mm. then nothing's exaggerated in a way. Like if right. you know, like the eyes yeah. are big, the ears are big, the hair is big, the nose is big, the chin is big. It's like, well, now it looks like nothing. So you have to, uh, this book, it was a great book I was reading about caricatures. Um, but yeah, it explained mm. it as like a, uh, like clay. If you've got a, a clay head sculpture thing and you want to exaggerate the ears, you've only got a certain volume of clay to pull from. So you have to take the clay from somewhere else. If you want to make the ears big, you've got to pull uh, some yeah. from the chin. So now the chin has that's to be That's a good smaller. way to think about it. Um, that stuck with me, but yeah. anyway. No, that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. I was going to say it's something nerdier than that, but that's exactly the same point I was going to make. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's a good um, way to think about it for sure. Yeah. So your, your designs have that. It was actually like, I used to make a, uh, like my North star of like, what am I aiming for? Like simplified characters. Quite a few of your pieces were in there. It like, it nailed it. Um, mm. Yeah, so your your learning, Thanks. your your education to get there was okay, Noman. Then you worked yeah, okay. Let's go back maybe. What what happened after you finished Noman? Oh, um so I finished Noman with like a CG generalist portfolio. Okay. Um so I knew a little bit about everything. Um, but not, I wasn't super great at any one thing. I think I was definitely leaning more towards characters at that point and kind of on my own, I was more leaning towards stylization at that point, at least, uh, no, mostly Noman stuff was about, you know, film, like VFX type of stuff. So like monsters and disgusting aliens and stuff like that, mm -hmm. which I love that stuff, but it's not what I wanted to do. So I was kind of going towards, you know, stylization a little bit more, um, and so a lot of that just came from my own experience in probably drawing and just like the type of art that I like to look at. Um, so after Nomen, so I finished Nomen and I'm like, I've got this CG generalist portfolio and I'm ready to go work in a 3D place. And it's like another two years before I do any 3D again. So I go to 
Um, I just started freelancing around LA doing like illustration jobs and stuff. So I was doing a lot of drawing, just nothing but drawing. Um, And I I was working at a place called Zoic for a while. Okay. Zoic is like an effects, a VFX place out here. They do all kinds of different stuff. They do like TV effects, commercials, video game stuff sometimes. Okay. Yeah. And that was a really fortunate place for me to land because even though all the work there was like contract based like at the end of whatever project you're doing you're out you're just gone and most of the people who work there are just freelance you just like kind of show up and work in their building during the time that you're working and then when they're done you're just like you're out you're gone okay (laughs) so um but because i knew how to do 3d stuff and i knew how to draw and i kind of knew how to do a bunch of the little things i basically was just full-time there for like a long time Okay. There would be periods of, of, of like a week or two where I was home, but then they'd call me and be like, do you know how to texture something? And I'm like, yeah. So I went and had work for like, like a month, you know, and then oh, you leave again and like, right. do you know how to storyboard something? And I'm like, yeah. So then I got to storyboard <laughs> something for a while. Um, so that was fun. Okay. But being exposed so that was to your, like a that lot was of your different first, things. Like work yeah. experience post uh, college school yeah that was like the first like serious one i used to go to like coffee shops around la and just leave drawings all over the place and so i got a lot of like little freelance jobs from there really wait that because people would just like no way totally it totally works wait hang on hang Um, on so you you would draw what something in the coffee shop a setting yeah i would just go to all right so this did two things for me one is it got me some work and it also got me to completely get rid of my like preciousness about art um which i think is i definitely recommend that for anyone especially doing 2d art but just in general don't be precious about it so i would go to like coffee shops and just do like as many drawings as i could while i was there i would just bring my stuff with me and then i would just leave them there or i got these i don't have any here but i had these like self-adhesive magnets that i found on amazon that I would just peel the backing off and then like stick drawings to metal stuff around LA. No way. And these are just like original drawings, you know, that I would just do with like marker and pen and stuff. There's hundreds of these out there. And, um, and so, yeah, people would, I would just put like my Instagram on the back of it or something like that. And someone would contact me for work. I think that's actually probably how I got into Zoic. Somebody saw one of those. I don't remember, but I have gotten work that way. That is the wildest like a method that I've heard that to actually work. That's crazy. <laughs> it's, but it's like, it also really helped me just like let go of any attachment that I had to those things because you put time into it. It's something you put time into it. You obviously care about it, um, you know, at least to some degree, but then you just totally give it away. And there's like a 90% chance that it just ended up in the trash. You know, like somebody just walked by and was like, oh, clearing off the table. That's why oh, I put, started yeah. sticking them to things. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also, yeah, tried so sticking them to stuff. I had like these, <laughs> these little um, self-adhesive like photo frame standees. So I would make like little, like portraits of people that didn't exist, and then just like <laughs> leave them places. So that's so cool. Yeah, it's funny. One wow. or I like on the back of receipts and stuff. I would do that. One time I was at a restaurant and somebody, I left a drawing, and the server ran out after us and was like. I already have one of these from like somewhere else that they worked and they pulled it out of their wallet. And they had a drawing that I had done like years before. That. Whoa, so, that's crazy. Yeah. 
Wow. So they, they kept it. It wasn't like a stop leaving these everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, no one ever really got mad about it, which is nice. That's good. I don't know why they would. That's when you know your the only people who strategy's not yeah. working. People are actually the mad. Only people... Right. Yeah, that's a, such a silly reaction, too. I've only had people get mad when they like figure out that you're drawing them in public. Oh, really? They sometimes like people will get angry. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. I think... Uh, it takes a certain type of person to be angry about that, I guess. <laughs> no, either it's also like, I could just pretend, photograph yeah. you if I wanted, but I'm drawing know, instead. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow that's weirder. It is definitely uh, weirder, actually. Now yeah. that I, I've said that aloud, yeah, the drawing guy, he's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've done Wait, that, though. Yeah, I, was... I've gone to a shopping center and just drawn yeah. people and felt so creepy yeah, a... while doing it. Good way to do it. Well, that's a good way to get over that too. <laughs> most most people enjoy it and they really carry it. I like it. It's good uh, observation. People watching is so valuable. I really missed that during this pandemic. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that's uh, I say get out there and and look at people if you can. Hmm. That helps right. everything. Yeah. So yeah. that that influenced your okay. So you got a job at Zoic from. Yeah the craziest yeah. strategy that worked and then what <laughs> so and then i left zoic to do the talent development program at disney so i found out about that and that's kind of like their you know, pr apprentice training program there right um i found out that they had an opening for that and i was like ah, i don't really do 3d anymore i haven't done it so long <laughs> like my portfolio sucks and this is why yeah, so I don't know. It was a bad mindset to be in for sure. But I did it. I applied. I had to like reteach myself ZBrush really because I hadn't been using it for so long. Mm -hmm. And so like, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks before the portfolio deadline, I did like a brand new character that I'd never tried to do. I did like an animal character okay. and just put it together with my portfolio. And I got it was enough to get in. So I got in. Damn, that's cool. They said that that animal character like made the difference though. So, ah, uh, you know, being able to spot some kind of weakness in your portfolio, I think is good. Ask other people because that's what I did. And they were like, you don't have any animals. So I did an animal. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And that's, that's why I'm here talking to you. I actually thought the advice was the opposite. Like don't put stuff in your portfolio that like, don't fill it in. Don't fill up your portfolio with stuff that you're not good at. Because it oh, will often no, okay. Don't, I didn't make it look like I was bad at it. I tried to make it oh, look good. Oh, but, oh, like, oh, right. Maybe that's an yeah. <laughs> but it was <laughs> it comes without saying. It was a way. <laughs> it wasn't just a way to fill up my portfolio. It was a way to um, add more dimension to it. I think because all I had in there was character stuff that was you know sort of similar. I guess kind of along along the same vein. So having something that was a little bit different than that, but it was still stylized, was still appealing. Um, you know, helped illustrate that I knew shape language, you know, uh, okay. or could learn. I I thought I knew a lot about like making art and stuff before I started at Disney, but man, I learned so I don't think I really started learning about how to make art until after I started there. Wow. Yeah, so what's it like at Disney? Sure. You've got just amazing people you're learning from every day. Uh, it can be. So yeah, my experience at Disney was great. Like just um, 
there's just a ton of stuff to learn there, but I had like really excellent mentors. Um, it was really fortunate to get in through the talent development program because you kind of get like six months to suck at your job um, until they decide whether or not they're gonna keep you. Mm-hmm. But during that time, if you are like really dedicated and show you know, that you can learn stuff and you actually do learn stuff and, and grow as an artist, like it can be really huge. So that's what I did. And I just tried to like learn as many different disciplines that were related to modeling as I could. And I think that helped. Um, so under, it's not just understanding how to do your job, but also how your job fits into that pipeline, just as advice to like get into a place like Disney. I think you need to kind of understand what your work turns into and how it affects other departments and stuff downstream of you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just the opportunity to learn from people and just go bug people all the time uh, was really helpful, I think. Right. right. And, and working like, it's very collaborative there. So you work like right next to the character designers and stuff. They're not just like, you know, sending down designs from on high and then you kind of have to like push the right buttons until it's good enough. It's, you know, they're kind of there helping you. So you learn just a ton by working directly with those people. I think every place that has like that kind of dynamic should do it hmm. the same, you know, work right. with the design and, and modeling should definitely be like the same department almost. Right, okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've so, often wondered yeah. like, like people at studios, I feel like they almost have like a, like an unfair advantage in that like mm. most of us are trying to find a school that's got like a teacher that has any experience in the industry whatsoever, right? And that is teaching a workflow yeah. that is true to the industry and is, you know, checking all the right boxes. And then if you get that mm. one job at Disney or Pixar or like a, just a nice studio that gets it, it's like now you're with the icons that the books are written about and you can tap them on the shoulder, maybe. This is my, what I imagine it is at a studio, so correct me if I'm wrong. But then it's like you, you're getting like feedback from the people that you idolize I don't know, it feels Yeah, oh feels yeah, cool. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like that all the way up until, I mean, I was there for nine years. It was like that up until I, I left. Wow. Um, just, uh, it, you know, we mentioned like having sort of a competitive feel when you're in school and you're kind of surrounded by people that are just as driven as you and, you know, are interested in making the best that they can and it's like that there, but it's everybody. And so it's like, wow, you have no, there's no lack of inspiration, right? So whether or not someone is doing something amazing and you're inspired by that, or you're trying to be as good or better than other people that okay. you're working with. Right, um, right. Maybe it's not like that for everybody, but that's the fuel that works for me. Okay, got so, it, got it. And is it yeah. um, like the sort of the hierarchy of artists? Is it like, the, the hero character, is that the one that like the most experienced like OGs get to like who, like who designed Elsa? You know what I mean? Like I assume it wasn't a junior. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, a lot of those characters go through a bunch of different people's hands. Um, you know, so I'm sure, I don't know how, I didn't work in biz dev, so I'm not really sure how their department worked exactly, but yeah, usually they'll, I think that probably for some of the main characters, they'll kind of go with like a more experienced designer, but which it's not always the case. I think it really depends on what that person's strengths are. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do like to give up, you know, people get opportunities to try new stuff and and kind of design bigger things. 
but it's such a huge iterative process and it often does go through multiple multiple people's hands mm-hmm. um so you know someone will be like elsa specifically you mentioned she went through so many different designs i remember like I'm sure you can find in like the frozen art book or maybe some other places online, like the earlier versions of her were so different than what they ended up with. Really? Okay. Um, and yeah. then it, yeah. it comes to that final destination through just like that iterative process, working back and forth. Cause they, they build it, uh, they mod or they, they like design it out. It gets approved by, you know, whoever else needs to approve it. And then they start building it in 3d. And that's been kind of the push is to get characters into 3d as fast as possible. Okay. Um, makes sense. Making a 3D movie, and so from there they, you know, they continue to develop and iterate, and so it's like it's kind of fun to see it like whittle down because it always starts in its most extreme form, like the the farthest out, like weirdest version of the character, uh-huh. and then they kind of like bring it into reality a little bit more of like something that's like, oh, this is more feasible or this is more relatable uh-huh. on some level, and I, every main character has gone through some level of that really um, okay it's, yeah it's pretty cool to see i've actually heard that that as a kind of a strategy it's like when you're designing something you don't know where the wall is where the, the ceiling is until mm. you've gone past it there's even a famous quote that explains yeah. it. but like so would you suggest that as kind of like do you do this in your design like i'm designing a tiger like let's make him the like the craziest in this direction and then pull it back rather than play moderate and then increase I, I think that's great advice. I don't know if I always do that. Um, okay. But yeah, I think definitely like trying to push it, trying to break it first, like push it as far as it can into you're like, all right, it doesn't really work. We need to like dial it back is a good way to go. Cause if you, it's like when you're negotiating for a job or something, if you come in and you're like 20 bucks and they're like, no problem. Then you know that you probably should have negotiated more, you know? Like if you're too safe about it, then it's not gonna be as good probably as it should be. So uh, it's always I think it's always better to go a little bit too far. Right, right. So sort of treat treat your mind like the job interviewer, the the one you're negotiating the job with and go like he's gonna take yeah. that because it's gonna be too simple, too easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you go wild and then yeah. it goes, whoa, no, 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 no. Dial it back. Yeah. Got it. That's funny. Okay. I like that. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So it's, uh, then, it's an iterative it's also process different, like, at Disney. Okay. It is. It is. But it's also like, there's so many other factors to consider there. If I'm designing for myself, it's one thing. Cause I can go as crazy as I want and there's no one that's going to be like, well, you probably shouldn't, you know, this might not, this probably isn't going to play very well in Europe or something like that, you know? So like mm-hmm. it's, um, I can do whatever I want, but in a, like a huge gigantic machine like Disney like that, they have to think about so many different facets oh, really? and they really like, it's kind of, it can be frustrating as a modeler because you see these amazing designs coming down the pipe and you're like, I can't wait to get my hands on this and make something <laughs> no one has ever seen before. It was like that every single show. Um, and I'm going to explain why it's not necessarily a bad thing to say, but Every single show, you see stuff coming in and it's like, no one's ever done this before. Like, this is an insane stuff. Like, I can't wait to make this. It's going to be so cool. Because um, it, it's weird and it's like, it's got like a different feel to it. And so we start iterating on it and eventually it kind of gets like they shave the sides of it off a little bit and they kind of bring it back into Disney territory, right? Okay. So it's like a little bit more recognizable as like a Disney thing. 
And not not to say that it doesn't start that way, but it always starts more extreme and then kind of dials it back. And I totally understand why they do it. There's a lot of it that goes into, you know, making the story work and just like how interesting the character is, has like an effect on how they read in the story. It's like, there's so many facets to this and I'm glad that there's people that are way smarter than me that are in charge of figuring that stuff out because (laughs) everything would look insane if I was in charge. So, um, yeah, it's like something you kind of learn rubbish. Yeah. Like (laughs) when you first start, you're like, Oh, why can't we have this insane carrot? Like Goro from mortal Kombat was in like the first version of Wreck-It Ralph. And you're like, why are they cutting him out of the movie? And then of course now as like, you know, I've been working for a while around these types of companies, around these types of people. It's like, oh yeah, of course they're not going to put Goro from Mortal Kombat in there. <laughs> you know, so oh, in a lot of ways it makes wait, sense. On, I, I don't another... know Goro. What is he, violent? Oh yeah, he's like a huge forearmed monster that like shreds people's limbs off and stuff. Nice. So, yeah, yeah. you know. Oh, it's Disney safe. They did. Yeah. yeah. Try something new. <laughs> sure. Push the boundary. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then, I mean, that's another thing too, like maybe this is like a total change in topic a little bit here, but like you can't get too, everyone wants to do a good job, of course, when you're working on a collaborative team, especially if you're making a film or something like that, everyone wants to do a great job and do like the coolest stuff that they can, but you can't be too, you can't wrap up your identity too much in the art that you're making for other people because it's not yours at the end of the day. Like at any point during my career, they could have just been like, you're out of here. You know, there's, we can find 9,000 other modelers that can do what you can do. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, don't get and that precious. would of course be devastating. Yeah, you don't get, exactly. That's my number one takeaway. Don't get precious with your art. Throw your whole sketchbook away every once in a while. Mm. Um, maybe don't do that. I did that. Maybe I regret doing that sometimes. <laughs> but, um, Why'd you throw it away? <laughs> I was done with it. Okay. I would just leave it someplace when I'm done with it. Um, (laughs) so yeah wow okay but i noticed that would happen that would happen to me you get too precious about like the stuff that you're making and it's like oh wait a gigantic corporate entity owns this not me Mm, so right right and that's why i think that's that's more like juniors are on that scale rather than like the seniors are kind of they get it usually I don't know. Probably not everybody feels that way, but I noticed like my arc through Disney was you start off and you're just like, I'm going to put 1000% into everything that I do. And then you kind of learn over time that like, you should, you should put the, put the effort into like certain things more than other things. And one of the things that requires less effort probably is uh, trying to control the direction of the show you know, because you're not, that's not what they want from you necessarily. Like your input is good. All that you can do is give your input and then maybe they'll listen to it. Maybe they won't, but yeah. it's, um, it's just useless to like stress yourself out or, or be get like upset about things that are out of your control. I think that's like just generally good life advice. Um, but especially at work. Right. Right. Got it. Hmm. I'm getting rambly. No, no, that's good. Yeah, it's really good. Just thinking <laughs> about it. Yeah. Um, okay. So Disney, you finished up at Disney uh, two years ago. Yeah. What was the yeah, uh, reason you made the leap to uh, Netflix animation? Yes. So 
I'd been at Disney for a long time. And although I thought everything was going great there, I just wanted something. I noticed that it wasn't like scary anymore. Like Mm. I was pretty comfortable doing my job. And I think I just wanted a little bit more out of it. I wanted the opportunity to do more design work stuff. I wanted to be a little bit more experimental, a little bit more on the art side. It's, it can get exhausting uh, doing production assets for animation because like, not only does it have to hit certain appeal bars, but it has to be like technically perfect too, mm. or it does if you're me. I'm yeah. obsessive about that kind of stuff. So okay. I'll get in there and I'll just like tweak vertices. Like there's not a single like edge or anything that I didn't touch and just obsess over. And all of us were doing that. And so it's like this attention to detail. And I was just feeling like kind of burned out doing that a little bit. Um, and also I just wanted, I wanted some new opportunities, but the most, the most, I guess like the biggest reason for me is, yeah, it just wasn't feeling like scary anymore. Sure. I wasn't learning anything new necessarily. Right. Um, right. So I was like, I guess what I'll, I guess what the obvious solution to this is, is I should switch jobs in the middle of a pandemic <laughs> and also do something I've never done before, which is work in a uh, series. So I, I went over to Netflix on a, on a series. So totally different than feature, mm. like totally different time schedule, different oh. skill set um, to some degree. What, what, what but the main how thing is it was different in skill sets, actually curious. Well, because we're working with like a vendor studio. So there's a studio overseas that does like the actual like asset building and animation and stuff like that. So everything that we're doing on our side is like the art side of it. So it's like a little bit more top down, I guess. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so that's like a lot less technical stuff. And I get to worry more about how things look and how um, they work together, like these characters as an ensemble. Yeah. And just get into like more of the art side of it, I guess, and not worry so much about like whether or not all the spans and the lips line up. Stuff right. like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, and yeah. uh, can and, you say what you're working on or that's hush? Oh yeah. The project, the project is called my dad, the bounty hunter. My yeah, dad, so it's a Netflix, the bounty hunter? my, my dad, the bounty hunter. Okay. And it's a, yeah. Series. I think it's going to come out next year. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, we, kids kids series adult yeah it's like uh i think i don't know i think my wife would call it like a co-viewing thing so it's like you could watch it with your kids um okay but there's honestly it's i'm not just saying this because it's like my job but it's some of the like most i don't know i love sci-fi stuff and i love like adventure like the 80s kind of like kid that gets a phenomenal uh, opportunity to like go to space and do something that, you know, it's okay. almost like a genre, I think that existed then. And so it's kind of like that, but it's so funny and it's so well paced and it's just, I don't know, I'm blown away. Like the whole team, we're all like on Slack every week after an art review talking about like, how are we doing this? How are we making the show? And everyone is so excited about it. And so, so cool, like collaborative. Yeah. Because everyone is also like, I've never been on a production like this. And then you've got other people from other productions that are like, how are you doing this? Like, <laughs> um, this may never happen again where we have this type of like such a tight, like collaborative group. And oh, so, awesome. yeah, I don't know. 
definitely got to check it, that out now. That's cool. It's been like such a crazy stroke of luck to fall into this project because I don't know. I mostly just was like, oh, here's something that's really different. And I just jumped to it. So, oh, man, that's crazy. Let's do man. that again in November. Damn, that's cool. Yeah, I got to check that out. Yeah. Um, but I'm also like in a situation. No, no, you go. You go. Well, I was just going to say the last thing I'll say about that, like, it's very different. Like at Disney, you know, as long as you're not like being upsetting to work with or something, like you're going to move on to the next project. Right. So mm-hmm. there's kind of like, there's a slate and there's one thing after another and you know, more or less that you're going to go on to this. Right. And like, maybe you'll be a different title or something, but it's kind of like, I, here's my job this is where I work. And where, right. whereas, so now I'm kind of like in this environment where people just move from like one gig to another and like something wraps and they got to go look for work again. They got to try to like always kind of like keep an eye on the horizon and what's next. So that's new to me. Uh, um, but I'm right. Right. I think I needed it. You know, I just needed that like kick in the ass a little mm. bit. Okay. Right. Cool. So a lot, a lot of changes. Yeah. Yeah. Is, and is your role a more senior role at Netflix or? It's uh, because our team on this side of the ocean is like a lot smaller. There's just, it's mostly just the art team. And I'm the only 3D guy now on the, or the only 3D character person on this now. But we know we had a couple other 3D guys that would come in and do some character designs and stuff, but like their roles wrapped earlier, they went on to something else. Um, But I've been on the project throughout the whole course of it. So it's kind of nice to be like the, the main like central uh, character person there because I get to like have a lot of influence on that stuff. And um, I've really enjoyed that part of it, like being a little bit more hands-on and designery about mm-hmm. it. Um, was that, I, feel, I feel like I totally blanked on your question. No, no, that's all good. That's all good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been cool though. That's, that's great. Awesome. Um, we're sort of coming to the end here, but I did have one question I really want to get to is um, just, I, I find it helpful to have like a guide like a reference list of artists to look at that get it. Who do you look or who would you recommend as like a portfolio of work from artists that you idolize or are really, really good, high quality oh character artists? Well, okay. If you want to talk about like really great shapes and stuff, you can't do much better than like a Bruce Tim or a Shane Glines. Um, they have really heavily influenced a lot of my work. I think you probably see in a lot of my drawings, there's that kind of thing going on. Um, there's comic book artists that I think are really influential to me and it may not be as obvious, but like, uh, I don't know, like Ben Caldwell or, um, uh, Ryan Otley who did the invincible for a really long time. Okay. Like just, I think comic artists are great because they can kind of do everything. They have to do everything. Um, so you, I think that after like reading a lot of that, you kind of learn some more stuff about that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I had better answers for this kind of stuff, but my inspiration comes and goes in like, like waves, I think. And sometimes I'll just like really latch onto one person for a while and I'll jump to something else. Um, but those are kind of like the, a few of the, yeah, like no, that's fine. Line artists. Well, I always, I never uh, have a great answer for this in, in the show notes for people who want to uh, check out those artists. Um, uh, and if I'm you want to add, if you want to add any more to the list, though, because you have for sure forgotten, no one can remember on the spot. Um, I can add yeah. those. You can let me know after. But uh, yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah. 
Oh, cool. man. <laughs> no, don't beat yourself. It's, it's, it's not like a comprehensive, like, this is everything that you respect. It's like, yeah, what can you think of? Um, that's cool. That's fine. Um, All right. Awesome. Well, was there anything uh, else you wanted to say to the to the world before we finish? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think... Yeah, I don't know. Take breaks. Uh, try not to, like throw everything that you have into making art all the time because you'll burn yourself out if your work isn't doing that already that's something i've had to learn during this Mm, okay um yeah man my life is like a constant uh like (laughs) re i'm sort of trying to like rebalance everything all the time i guess so i I only find that out through failure like the same as learning new art but uh yeah i think just like trying to like prioritize your health get sleep Mm. take care of yourself and you know, bring in, you'd be surprised, I think, like how much bringing in inspiration from other sources maybe helps too. like finding something that you're interested in doing outside of art, very valuable, read a lot, that kind of stuff is like so much, at least to me, it's become so much more valuable to have an escape from art that isn't just like a waste of time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So if I can kind of like pad out my knowledge in some way or like I'm really into like self-help books and stuff and trying to kind of like learn how to actually understand like my feelings and and stuff (laughs) as silly as that sounds it's really made like tremendous tremendous difference in my life so yeah take care of yourself I think yeah you gotta everyone's fighting their own uh battles as they say and figuring things out at different times of their life it's yeah super important yeah and you know one other thing that I think is really worth is saying too is like it goes kind of like with the comparison thing we were talking about earlier you can't compare yourself to other people because everyone has like a totally different circumstance than you but also you know it's not just like what their day-to-day life is like i've been incredibly fortunate in my life to get to where i am right now and like you know not everyone has the same opportunities to do stuff and so i feel like maybe that doesn't get addressed enough either um that's been like a huge huge benefit of course it's not just about like how much work you put in how much time and effort or like always finding the right source of of information i think that stuff is much easier to do now than it used to be but you know a lot of the people working today have tremendous benefits on their side you know just from like being in the right place at the right time or just like not having student debt or something like that you know it makes such a huge difference so that's another thing like you can't always compare yourself because everyone has such a different situation yeah that's right and it's yeah and it's hard to know what that is whether like yeah one, totally. whether you're on the just the, the side that that gets it or the site yeah. the side that is disadvantaged um, yeah that's why i just ask everybody your work like on someone who's just got oodles of free time <laughs> and no bills <laughs> if that right, person totally. exists i don't know yeah yeah damn those people <laughs> those people selling nfts they've just got money sitting around <laughs> yeah what the heck <laughs> that's right i guess yeah i don't know yeah. people are making insane amounts of money on that but it feels like it just doesn't feel like i i know all the information there <laughs> um, yeah that's right i'm coming down hard in the middle of this yeah, that's right. I've picked my spot <laughs> and I'm on the fence. Firmly yes. on the fence. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. On one hand, it's like the NFT thing is like, like it, it, it is the perfect storm of like 
outrage, right? Because oh my god, I mean, for for so many reasons, but I think like the biggest is like artists generally are famously not very good at money, or at least asking for money. <laughs> and so then you have combined with that this uh, almost this caricature of this rich art investor just tossing millions at art that sucks or that doesn't matter and you know this per and so then you've got jealousy and like anger at this thing and then there's this environmental debate that coincides with it so there's pitchforks yeah. going up everywhere you know it you really yeah. couldn't and ask for a more drama ridden space so, oh my god it's 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 always fun to watch like art twitter devolve and tear itself apart on some level but like it's so crazy to see everyone is coming at it with like this fully formed 100% correct opinion and they know what he has all the information. It's just like, so it's so strange. And there's people just like regurgitating arguments. So it becomes really cloudy and really strange. Cause it's like the people who actually know what they're talking about get lost amongst mm. just like a sea of people who seem like maybe they just want to be angry about something. Yes. So, Yes. That, yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's the worst thing about Twitter in general is that it's become so easy to just like attach yourself to outrage that doesn't affect you necessarily. Like there's yeah. tons of outrage that's 100% justifiable and valid on there. But like when it comes to the NFT thing, I don't know. I see a lot of people who I think have good intentions, but they're just like, calling for like the destruction of some artist because they made an NFT or something like that. It's like, I just don't know enough about it to want someone to like <laughs> have to live in a hole for the rest of their life for making this, you know? Yes. Yeah. I'm not I'm really, really sure that I'm on like the moral high ground there. You know, I probably don't live the most like efficient life either. You know, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, what the impact is. I haven't done the research. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's also hard to diagnose whether the the argument is whether they actually understand it or if it's really just jealousy because <laughs> it's hard not to be jealous. Yeah, I'll be honest. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. jealous of so many Definitely. of these uh, millionaires. <laughs> in the yeah, space. I know that that's that's conflicting too, right? Like, yeah, there there's people are making a ton of money apparently, and that's great. Like. I do kind of feel like, oh man, I wish I had thought to do that. Or I wish that I was, yeah, yeah. you know, generating that kind of stuff. But some of the stuff that you see too, it's like, would I really feel good about myself if I, if I personally made that kind of art? Like, mm. and that's not even a value judgment on the art. That's like a, that's just me, the way that I like to make stuff. You know, if I feel like I'm changing what I like to do to chase like dollars, then right. I feel like right. something you know has is. gone wrong on some level. Obviously you right. want to get paid for making art, but like if your whole thing is like, I make some weird thing that I never made before now just to make money. Like, Oh I yeah. Know, I think that would be really yeah. upset about that. I think though the best, the best NFT artists usually aren't doing that. They're actually doing art that is only true to their style. Yeah. Like, that's probably I mean, true. There are obviously also that like kind of collectible or like just kind of what would you call it? Modern art. What's that art that isn't art? It's modern art, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that's the category pretty much yeah um yeah it's got value to somebody i guess i don't know yeah yeah oh well, i i i honestly think it's exciting i think that it's uh it's going to introduce a new revenue source to so many artists and here's the thing yes to stand on my podium if uh people compare the the environmental aspect um in a silo right which is like if crypto didn't exist and also the whole uh, like the argument that the nft things add to the crypto like no it's the va- like it's going to generate the train's going to run regardless and yes if you add more art to it and then it increases the value of the crypto then there'll be more trains running or whatever right um mm-hmm. there is that side of it. it doesn't directly influence the that you can't do that environmental cost per which was this one guy who put together this website which is now down supposedly from threats but i think because it was just debunked uh, but yeah he put together uh, this site which was like you know this artwork equated to you know three months of europe's you know electricity consumption you can't do that it doesn't work oh that yeah way. crypto is not i saw that inside the block it could be one artwork it could be empty it could be a thousand artworks it doesn't change the size or the amount of energy to create the block so it was actually oh, completely misunderstood uh, uh i suspected as much <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah. so that kind of just like a lot of people read that and were like holy shit so i think that also is people have sort of misinformation around that um journalists oh, yeah, sure. love a, a shitstorm, so they just sort of took it and went hmm. the environmental is this this and this whatever um they nobody's talking about what it is in comparison to which is that if you have an artist that needs to be self-sufficient and they need to make money in their career they have to sell something right and i saw this video and it was this guy who was this artist and he said my my nft artwork almost destroyed the environment that was the title of this video i guess now you can look it up and see who i'm talking about but he um he he talked about the the cost of this he was going to make this nft piece and then he realized the environmental cost and he's canceled it and then he ended the video by saying so anyways i'm i'm not going to do the nft thing i'm going to continue selling my merchandise and and then you I look at the that. cost of merchandise and even with the worst case predictions yes. for this nft artwork thing like selling three t-shirts or something stupid is the cost of like one nft whereas like yeah the amount of money you get from the three t-shirts is maybe like 30 bucks if you sold an nft for a thousand dollars you know what i mean like so yes one revenue like if you have to make revenue and you could make it by selling one one nft well the damage to the environment would be drastically less and that's not even getting into the whole point of what is driving the uh the the blockchain it's just replacing cash and then the amount of energy spent on cash is astronomical federal backed Hmm. military backed cash i mean it's getting really i mean that's the thing you go down this like spiral and yeah you expect everyone else to read the same blogs and articles yeah. and books that you have and yeah yeah it's not as linear and easy to understand as it's made out to be i guess but yeah i think it's there's definitely a lot of cool exciting stuff about it i don't know especially when it comes to like potential residuals for art and stuff like using that to 
like blockchain contracts or something like that. I can't remember where I was reading. Someone had proposed something like this. Yeah, smart contracts. There's a lot of revenue between artists very easily. Upload it 50-50. You get a carry on 10% secondary sales forever. It's great for artists. It's fantastic. It seems like it would be good. And like you said, it's not going away. So I hope that we can figure out a way to make it you know, work for everybody, not only work, but make it understandable so that people, you know, get it. You know, if I buy like a new, I don't know, electronic device around my house and plug it in, I have no idea how much energy that is using up, you know, it's, yeah. I, I guess I could find out, but I really don't like, that's yeah. about as far as my knowledge goes. On that. Yeah. Or the cost of like so creating somebody, the good as well. Like how many, oh, you know, yeah, I've got transportation, on all materials, mining it, all that. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point about like NFT versus like merch though. I think I saw like Bobby Chu talk about that. Mm. He's talking about how like he was going to do an NFT and everyone on Twitter was like, we'll kill you if you do this. <laughs> and so yeah. he was like, okay, I guess I won't. But I was trying to offset merchandise costs. So like what's <laughs> better, this or that? So yeah, I don't know. Oh, dude, that's the thing that made me realize like the art community is not supportive at all. People say it is, but it's like, I've seen the most disgusting stuff directed at some artists that I love who are just like, they were making money from Patreon or they were working at a studio that sucked. And now they're able to make what they actually love and what they do. And they're met with the most heinous comments I've ever read. And I'm like, no, this poor person is so nice. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's bad. Only the, uh, yeah, it's terrible. Everyone yeah. seems like they're so ready to jump down someone else's throat or just yeah. jump on like the backstabbing pile. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, we got another it's, one, uh, boys. Get them. Get them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The yeah. most, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Only the, uh, only the adult art community is supportive. Oh yeah. The like. adult art community. <laughs> oh, my they God. all love each other. <laughs> that's true. Let your freak flag fly. Yeah. Exactly. I actually remember yeah. that from your, um, uh, CG Futures talk in Melbourne. You were showcasing oh. your work of um, all the characters you'd made, and you mentioned the one that you made for Zootopia, the tiger in the dance uh-huh. at the end. And you're like, "Oh yeah, the furry community really dig this character." <laughs> oh yeah, they really support some characters. <laughs> they yeah, must have loved those are that the most positive overall, people actually. on Twitter. <laughs> probably, probably, yeah. Anyways, that's a weird, a weird, weird ending to the podcast. But where, <laughs> where can people find you? Everything begins and ends with furries. Um, <laughs> people can find me on Twitter, <laughs> uh, just D Eckert on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, hopefully, less and less. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. D Eckert Instagram, Twitter, and you are oh, also on Art Station. D Eckert. Oh yeah, Art Station. I just need to update that. I'm way overdue. Yeah, your last artwork was posted three years ago, so. Oh, thanks. Yes. Got to get on that. Just thought I'd drop that in at the end there. No. Feels feels longer. Well, I guess I know I'm staying up late tonight. (laughs) No. Gotta get back to it. Uh, Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Dylan. Great to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me.